For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to another episode of Jaybird Watching. Let's go, Expos. I mean, uh, Washington Nationals, everybody. But as far as it goes, Brendan Panikar, <laughs> you're all excited here with me on a wonderful episode of Jaybird Watching as we're going to kick off the season review portion of the Jaybird Watching show. <laughs> What's up, buddy? There's so many different uh, starting pitchers fan graphs page I have up, given the amount of guys who trotted out there at the beginning of the game for the Blue Jays this year. So. It'll be uh, interesting to see where we go with certain starters and who's touched upon in depth and whatnot. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Do we have enough screen space to cover how many pitchers we had on your laptop right now? That's my big question. Barely. <laughs> I can barely see the name. <laughs> <laughs> and with us, Brendan, we got a special guest. Long time since Chris Henderson has joined us, our former cohort from Jay's Journal, who is still there, and also country star Chris Henderson. How you doing, my friend? Anytime anybody calls me a star, I'm doing just fine. You know? <laughs> I'm doing my best, Thanks man. Thanks for having me on, Toast. <laughs> yeah, hey, no, you're doing well. And we'll make keep, sure we give you plenty of time to shield self-promote by the end of the show, too, my friend. <laughs> Perfect. That's uh, And you read my contracts prior to coming on. <laughs> Perfect. So, gentlemen, first, it is World Series time. I think we have to talk what exactly happened on this evening 26 years ago. Chris Henderson, you and I were old enough to live it. Brendan Panikar, unfortunately, is just that little bit younger than us that had to read this stuff in Blue Jays' Twitterverse. <laughs> but Joe Carter hits one of the only home runs in baseball history to walk off a World Series. The only other person is Pirates, Pirates hitter Bill, Bill Mazeroski. Chris, give us a little insight here to Joe Carter and what this epic night meant. You know what, I was, uh, I'll tell you how old, I'm 35 now, so I was eight years old when the Blue Jays won their first World Series, um, you know, just old enough to really appreciate it, I think I watched, I probably had to have watched 120 games with my dad that year, and Joe Carter was my favorite player, so to see the Blue Jays come back in the World Series in 93, and to see it come down to that moment, and see my favorite player hit a walk-off World Series home run at the age of nine years old, it was like the most epic moment of my life. I remember running around my stepfather's house at the time and just losing my mind. Like, and my mom knew how much I cared about the team, so she would just let me go crazy. So it's uh, to this day, it was one of the coolest. You know, for a baseball fan, it's good to be watching live. I, if I had been there, it would be even better. But uh, that's one of the things that cemented my 
my baseball fandom. And uh, to this day, Joe Carter still, I would tell you, is my favorite player. And that uh, it was before that home run, but even that cemented it after that moment. Absolute icon in Toronto Blue Jays uh, lore, even before this home run, as far as a pure offensive force is Joe Carter. Um, I remember being in bed and my dad coming up and sneaking up and uh, waking me up and going, Ricky Henderson just got walked to open the inning. You're coming with me. <laughs> so I snuck downstairs with him and watched Joe Carter eventually hit the World Series walk-off home run. And we you know immediately woke my mother up it's just how it is because <laughs> of course we were running around the house screaming and she's like what are you doing up and freaking out and i'm like joe garner <laughs> it sounds like he had a great father then <laughs> exactly right <laughs> worth getting in trouble for but brendan panikar as far as i know you know the history of this team just as well as anybody else but epic level like i said equivalent to the jose bautista bat flip in spades right well, you read my mind, my friend. I was one and a half years old, born in 92, October 93 when he hit that. So pretty much exactly a year and a half. That's probably shit in my pants when that was happening at some point. <laughs> so uh, I've seen, obviously, all the posts. I very much appreciate what he did. But at the same time, while that moment for you guys is like Jose Bautista's bat flip for me, obviously that's a special moment for the both of you as well, Jose's bat flip. But uh, I cannot wait until I have my actual Joe Carter moment. Even if it's not a walk-off, just being able to watch the Blue Jays celebrate a World Series win like you guys did all those years ago would just be so incredible. I can't truly appreciate it because I wasn't able to watch it, obviously. I uh, don't even remember. I don't even remember being alive then. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, I uh, My moment is Jose Bautista's bat flip, maybe even Edwin's walk-off. But, uh, yeah, it's it's special. It's always nice to get a nice little reminder that uh, all those years ago, Blue Jays won the World Series. Exactly, and I think that's the thing that, that gentlemen were obviously building toward and building toward in rumors already to start the soon-to-be free agent season for the 2020 baseball season. Toronto Blue Jays getting some random Cuban, Spanish, whatever report that apparently they are interested in Marcel Ozuna. Gentlemen, how does this fit into the Blue Jays' plans? And Brendan Panikar, I'll let you pick this one up off to start with. It's interesting because, um, I mean, I, try, I can't remember the exact name of the guy who kind of confirmed the report, but a, a journalist or somebody well-connected down in the Dominican Republic, uh, threw out a bunch of teams' names there. You saw, I think, the White Sox, maybe even the Royals, the Blue Jays, so kind of a whole bunch of lower-level, middling teams that are starting to build towards being relevant again. Um, obviously, the Blue Jays' outfield and state of the outfield is in complete flux. Uh, I think there's maybe two, maybe one solidified spot going into next year. We'll see how spring training plays out, some moves that are made, but... Uh, you know what, Marcelo Zuna, other than that one crazy year he had uh, with Miami, uh, and I believe his first year in St. Louis, um, he really is about a two-win outfielder. And I think they could have that already on their roster. So I'm not sure how much of an upgrade Marcelo Zuna would be over anybody that's currently in the system or on the roster. But, you know, you know, it doesn't hurt to add him because he is a bit of a flashier player. He's older. He's been there. And you, you know what you'll get. You'll get probably two, two and a half wins per year from Marcelo Zuna. It's going to come down to price point because uh, there will be other teams bidding for his services. 
Yeah, as far as bidding for his service, yeah. Chris Henderson, this is a guy that cost $12.25 million last season. Is this something in the Blue Jays' ballpark of spending that much money on a two-win player? No. Um, <laughs> well, maybe. But but I but I don't think that, that Ozuna is even remote close to what they need. I mean, at this point, with they, the Blue Jays outfield, as you mentioned, Brennan, um, they have, I would say, Lourdes Gurriel has a secure spot in, in uh, left field. And Randall Grichuk probably has right field or maybe center field if they have to slide him there. Um, I think ideally what they need if they're going to go out and get an outfielder is just as a no-doubt center fielder. And Ozuna is not that. He's played there a bit in the past. Um, but to add another just sort of right-handed power first bat uh, would make no sense. We already have a redundancy in the outfield of guys that are kind of similar to him. Like, obviously not as established you know, the Teoscar Hernandez or Derek Fisher, these guys aren't established like Marcelo Suna is, but I think they could potentially, you know, within the next few years, as Asuna gets older, they could probably re- could become closing to reaching his value. Uh, so to pay him $20 million or more a year doesn't make any sense for Toronto's uh, current roster, though, in my opinion. Yeah, the one thing you're definitely getting out of Marcel Ozuna is the fact that he's going to hit you a ballpark around 25 home runs, and he's going to get you at least 80 RBIs, it seems like, gentlemen, for a team that shouldn't be struggling for offense because we're going to get full years, hopefully, from Bichette, Vladdy, Biggio, and company. This is just another guy you would be throwing more gas on that fire for the offense, and like you said, Chris, I think that the glorified center fielder would be a better option for them to be going because what are you going to do throw another corner outfielder into the mix on this brendan yeah doesn't make a whole lot of sense and i think for center field if they do go out and get somebody uh whether it be a trade or free agency uh that they'll compete with the likes of Derek fisher for center field uh the likes of um uh, anthony alford for center field there's a whole bunch of different options they could plug in there right now but I think he'll ultimately be a little too costly. Um, there's going to be a lot of teams that are interested in him. And I had his Fangraphs page up just a minute ago. He had a one year where he had a 5-4 and another with a 4.5 F4, both with the Marlins way back in the day, I believe 2016 and 2012 or 2013. Anyways, um, he's had two really good years. All the rest has been kind of like, yeah, Blue Jays might be able to replicate that with what they have in their system. So, And honestly, I don't think uh, it's too out of the question that you could get that kind of production from Lourdes Gurriel in a full season in left field. Maybe Randall Grichik, uh, into, especially in the power department. So I think that they already kind of have Marcelo Zuna on the roster for a lot cheaper. Very much cheaper, gentlemen. And the only thing I'm going to mention on top of this, is this a, co- a candidate that would change a scenery to the American League East be benefiting and getting back into those silver slugger years that he had with the 2016-2017 Florida Marlins. We've seen it with players coming over to many teams in the American League East over the years. Most recent big one for the Blue Jays, Josh Donaldson coming from the Oakland A's to the Toronto Blue Jays, all of a sudden goes from being a borderline MVP to being nothing but a sure thing in the 2015 MVP race. I don't think that Marcelo Zuna, gentleman, is ever going to be an MVP caliber, but is he get an uptick coming to the American League East? Chris Anderson, what do you think? I don't. I don't think so. You know, you guys have kind of already highlighted. You know, the fact that he's 28 years old, maybe he's got some room to grow. But there again, I just don't think that he fits with the long-term growth and the long-term roster build of the Blue Jays. Um, there's just a lot of corner outfield options. Even as you look at the minor league uh, players that are coming up, you know, guys like Rip Griffin Conine, he's going to be a corner outfielder, and there, and there are other guys that could end up being out there. So. 
to me, um, spending money on that position and on a player like this, um, you know, I think the biggest thing that concerns me is that I look at his, his, his on-base percentage the last couple of years, the 325 and 328. We have guys that can hit 25 home runs and have a 320 OBP. So I don't know why we'd want to spend 20 million to get another one. Mr. Panikar just laid out all those names for us. <laughs> all right, so gentlemen, now the reason we are actually gathering this evening, it is season review time, as I mentioned in the leader part of this show. The Blue Jays could not buy starting pitching this season, no matter what they wanted to do, whether it was picking guys up before the season, picking random guys that throw knuckleballs from China leagues and Japan leagues and everything like that, Ryan Paraban, <laughs> um, and then just literally trucking any possible arm from our minor league system up. Blue Jays spent 21 different, star- or 21 different pitchers at starts this year. 14 of those are actual starting pitchers. Others were in the opener role, which we will discuss here in a little bit. But, Brendan... How did we even string this many innings together with this patchwork of what is going on this season? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, definitely patchwork. Um, there were so many injuries as well. I mean, you look at some of the guys who you thought would be counted on at the beginning of the season, like a Clayton Richard or a Clay Buckholz, uh, whoever else it was, Ryan Barucki. Uh, there was a lot of injuries to be dealt with, so that was one thing that didn't help their cause throughout the season. Uh, and Matt Shoemaker as well. Uh, obviously, him getting injured after just five brilliant starts to begin his Blue Jays career was really, I think, the downtick and really what kind of deflated the uh, air out of the balloon in what was a pretty good start to the season at 14 and 15 in uh, March slash April. So, I don't know, it was a lot, but you know what, at the same time, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because you saw so many different guys and young guys who were kind of everybody's labeling already as a quadruple-A player, but you give them extended runs in the rotation, and maybe you have something there. guy who comes to mind, Jacob Wagaspak, really took advantage of his opportunity when he got here. September wasn't as hot, but in August, he was extremely impressive. But we also got to see guys acquired via trade, and really, I think, make a decision on a few of these guys, and if they're going to be long-term pieces, like a Thomas Pannone or a Sean Reed Foley, some guys who didn't necessarily grab the opportunities that they had and ran with it. So even though there was a lot and a lot of patchwork, I don't necessarily think it was a bad thing. Chris? Yeah, you know what? I think uh, as we discuss all this, it really just reminds me just how much we need to tip the cap to Charlie Montoyo and to Pete Walker for the fact that they did somehow manage to get through a 162-game season. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it was pretty incredible at times. You know, and we talked about... You know, the portion of the season where Edwin Jackson's being run out to start, despite the fact that he's got a double-digit ERA. And, but it, that was just kind of the place we were at at that point. Uh, but, you know, there were some encouraging things. I, I like the direction of a few guys. You know, t- Trent Thornton, to me, especially late in the season, <clears throat> really took some steps forward where I think he's going to be a solid back-end uh, starter, maybe even a mid-location starter at some point in his career. He just really seemed to figure some stuff out, um, you know, w- even with his own repertoire, and I was really encouraged by that. Uh, you know, and I think there was a few other guys later in the year. You know, Anthony Kay really impressed me after he came over. I was underwhelmed by the trade return for Mark Stroman to begin with, but the more I watched those guys, the more I read about them, the more the happier I got with the move. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Just uh, hopefully they'll be able to add some veterans. You know, last year the plan was to lean on those Buckles and and Richards and and Shoemaker, and that just totally backfired. So hopefully, uh, hopefully the, the low cost guys that they bring in, they bring some depth, can be a little healthier in 2020. 
Yeah, and gentlemen, I think that was the big um, sum up the backfire of the veterans not staying healthy pretty much at any level on this whole thing, guys. Clay Buckholtz pitched a mere six, just under 60 innings, and that was literally all back-ended on the season. And the fact that, like, I think, Chris, you nailed it. You, you relied on Edwin Jackson for five starts with a four-digit ERA at 11.12. <laughs> that doesn't spell success in the starting rotation on any level. So I'm going to wipe those guys completely off of our main part of our talk here, fellas, because I we know how bad the watching those few guys were. I want to start off with talking about Matt Shoemaker, somebody that was just – literally uncannily good to start this season and Chris Henderson is this a guy that we would have been thinking maybe as a either ridiculously good trade chip all of a sudden or a guy that was a future fixture in the Toronto Blue Jays rotation if he continued to run with even half of what he started this season off with yeah I mean he proved he looked like the bargain of the year for the Blue Jays last year and uh, you know I think he's always been a guy that's been able to pitch Effectively, when he has been healthy, you look back at his time in in Los Angeles. But unfortunately, just like most of his career, he just he's been bitten by the injury bug, and he's had some bad luck. You know, last year it was a knee injury instead of an arm injury. But this is a guy that um, the Blue Jays have an option on for next year. Uh, he's in the final year of his arbitration, and if they don't bring him back, then I think they've lost their mind. Uh, at the very least, he's going to be worth uh, whatever I think it was three and a half million he got paid last year. At the very least, I could be completely wrong on that. That's just the figure that popped in my head. But he, um, <laughs> you know, at the very least, he's going to. At the very least, he's a veteran arm that's more than worthwhile on a gamble. You know, and in the best case scenario, he could be he could be our number one starter. <laughs> this is a very good point, Brandon Panikar. Give me your uh, two cents on Matt Shoemaker. He was so much fun to watch, man. Uh, it really does suck that he ended up uh, tearing his ACL. Uh, man, something about my teams and ACL injuries dating back to last year with Jimmy Garoppolo uh, and then Matt Shoemaker. <laughs> so ACLs have not been too kind to me, especially with guys that I really, really like to watch. Uh, and Matt Shoemaker was one of those. Uh, 28 innings, uh, 28 two-thirds, actually, uh, with a 1.57 ERA and 3.95 uh, FIP. He was fantastic. And uh, I was at his first start as a Blue Jay against the Tigers. Uh, in, in late March and went out there, dazzled for seven innings, really shut down the Tigers after they got a run in the top of the first there. But uh, I, I, I completely agree with Chris. you got to bring him back. I mean, it's, it's so cheap. And if he goes out there, he finally can put it all together and stay healthy and not have these fluke injuries like a torn ACL. That, like, what pitcher tears their ACL throughout the course of a season? It's insane that something like that happened to Matt Shoemaker and it sucks and I understand why he was crying because it's like fuck I got all the way back here now I tear my ACL it's not an arm issue so you gotta run it back with him he could probably actually I wouldn't be surprised if they bring him back if he just out of good faith by the Blue Jays gets an opening day start uh, next year I don't think that's out of the cards at all and if he's healthy ready to go then I exactly the tip of the hat to the guy who got off to a great start was probably gonna end up being your best starter but I think he goes out there and uh, puts together a few good starts in a row uh, and uh, turns that into a few good months. He definitely will be one of the final veteran trade trips that this team will finally be able to cut bait with and stock the farm system just one more time. Because after maybe one more trade deadline of stocking assets and trading away veterans, it's uh, time to push your chips in. 
Oh, I'm pushing them all in now, man. My offense ain't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as outside of that, and I want to start off with Matt Schumacher just for the fact that he falls into where he epitomizes what was the game plan for the Toronto Blue Jays in the 2019 season and everything that went wrong all in one player. And, fellas, as much as I loved watching Matt Shoemaker when he was an angel, I even loved him more knowing he was going to be a Toronto Blue Jay for the next two years. This is going to be very fun to see him come into the 2020 spring training because he is throwing already. He's going to come in hot, and he's going to want to, you know, he's he's lit. The fire's going. He's ready to go probably right now. <laughs> and wishes the season wasn't <laughs> over with, fellas. So, but the rest of the season was a showcasing players to for eventual trades and getting the kids ready, which is the main theme for this 2019 season to begin with. So let's talk veterans that were traded first. I want to start with Aaron Sanchez, Brandon Panikar. And he, I know he got traded. Probably a good thing he did because he got hurt again. <laughs> but as far as it goes, it was one of those things. He was literally, regardless of his 6.07 ERA, one of the very few people chewing up innings in this Major League Baseball rotation for the Blue Jays. Well, that's the one benefit that he gave to the 2019 Blue Jays is the ability to chew up innings when he was still on the roster. And you know what? Uh, even though they gave up three guys for Fisher, uh, at least he was used to acquire a potential asset for 2020. So there's a little bit of value there as well. But you know what? It really sucks because 2016 was just so much fun watching Aaron Sanchez take the ball every fifth day. And he really probably should have had a much stronger case for American League Cy Young in 2016 than people were giving him. He led the damn American League in, in ERA, and I don't even know how much under consideration he really was uh, by the voters that year. I think that, uh, that year. I don't really on that one. Yeah, I bet even still, he reached 192 innings. He just fell shy of 200. Yep. So... I know that there probably was some more room in the tank for him to go above 200, and 200 is a pretty sexy number for the voters, I suppose, when you go into Cy Young voting. But it really is looking like 2016 was an outlier for the guy because ever since he came back, even in his limited starts in 2017 and 2018, and even in 2019, the control just isn't there. And it's looking like similar things are happening with Sean Reed Foley, just not being able to command your stuff. You have fantastic stuff. But the command, not being able to locate it, you're going to get burned when you're at the major league level. So it's, uh, it sucks what happened to him this year. I'm happy, I suppose, that he's in the World Series. Uh, maybe he'll get a ring. Uh, who knows? But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's too bad that his Blue Jays career ended the way it did. Chris? Yeah, you know, I'm with you on most of that. It, it's just... It's such a shame when you watch a guy that uh, just is exploding with potential at like 23, 22, 23 years old. And, you know, by now, it's, I think he's only 26 even now. You know, it seems like his career is really kind of hanging in the balance. And it all started with that, uh, it all started with that bloody finger, you know, with uh, he just couldn't ever get that his pitching hand to be healthy enough. But I, I really think he still has the talent and, and the the potential there, but I don't know that his hand is ever going to allow him to be healthy enough to repeat his delivery enough to ever be the kind of guy on 2016 again. And, you know, at the time of the trade, I was really upset. Uh, there's another one that I wasn't happy with at the time because I just thought the Blue Jays didn't get much back for him, especially when you consider that they had to, to tag on two other players. But, you know, I was quickly reminded after he got to Houston, he had one great start. And from there, the Astros fans are going, we, we traded for this guy. Why? You know, and, and, uh, 
sometimes you overvalue guys that you know uh, that you have been on your team and that you know that have the potential. But you know, as we've seen with Blue Jays over the years, just because you have the potential doesn't mean you're going to turn into a turn into an all star. Yeah, because right now looking at that trade, Cal Stevenson was the trade chip. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, pretty much. So, anyways, gentlemen, as far as the Aaron Sanchez thing went, the one thing that was rough for Blue Jays fans on all levels, and like like you guys alluded to a little bit, you're feeling a lot more comfortable with it, but Marcus Stroman was a fixture for this team and quote-unquote one of the faces that was actually left on the team. Everybody knew this was coming. It still spurred a huge controversy amongst Blue Jays fans. But Chris Henderson... Other than the fact that he was eating up 124 innings and had a little resurgence, we still saw a lot of up and down. What do you think about the Marcus Stroman season that we did get from the 2018 Blue Jay performance? His performance on the field was was really solid. You know, he ended up. I think he was had in in ERA under three by the time he left. And um, I'm just taking a look at his stats now. His WHIP when he was traded was uh, 1.227. So I mean, he was having a solid year in Toronto. But unfortunately, with when it with Stroman, there was just always controversy, and uh, in particular this year, just as he knew he was going to get traded, he was looking for an extension. I think he genuinely wanted to be a part of this team in the future, and was upset about the fact that the front office didn't want to build around him. Uh, so it was just kind of a recipe for disaster. And as much as a lot of fans wanted to see him extended and kept around, uh, by the time he was done, it was just the the marriage was over. They just needed. <laughs> Or how, did, how did my dad used to put it? He, he was the horse was dead, and they were still just kind of kicking it. And however, you, I don't know. This is a terrible analogy, but I think you get what I'm saying. <laughs> it was uh, it was time to to separate you know, the two sides. And um, there again, it was a, a trade that I didn't think was great at the time. Um, but after having had a chance to watch and to read more about uh, the pieces that came back, I think in the end the Blue Jays are going to do well. Um, especially given the way the trade market has really evolved in the last couple of years. The, the, people just aren't paying for starting pitching the way that they used to. So I got the analogy I think you were looking for, Chris. It was like a divorced family, but they were staying together for the kids. That would have been way more eloquent than whatever I just tried to do there, kicking horses and, uh, yeah. What are friends for my buddy? <laughs> so, Brendan, um, put a bow on the... Uh, Marcus Stroman, 2019 year that was basically. Uh, I don't know if you guys checked out his Fangraphs page, but uh, I just I have it open now, and I didn't realize this is actually the best season uh, by F4 standards that Marcus Stroman has had as a professional. Uh, other than 2015, obviously when he only got 27 starts, and in 2018 when he was dealing with uh, lingering shoulder problems, every single year Marcus Stroman has been above a 3.3 F4 pitcher. So he was almost at four this year, and that's putting yourself near the front of a rotation, probably a very good number two starter in almost any MLB rotation. So I, at the time, I was a little perplexed uh, as to the return, but also I think part of that was the timing on when they traded Stroman because there was a few days before the trade deadline, and we saw some of the other trades that happened, and it was starting to make sense. There really was no big prospects move because of how much front offices and teams view prospects nowadays. They're not going to ship off these top-name guys, but there were some people that were looking at the Chris Martin reliever trade for Colby Aller with the Atlanta Braves and be like, hey, I would have been much more fine with trading Stroman for Colby Aller because at least he's a starter who's had wild success in the minor leagues and, and whatnot. Take a flyer on him. 
and people would have been happy with that. But uh, I think everybody, including myself, as the season went along, read a little bit more on Simeon Woods Richardson, got to see Anthony Kay at the big league level as the off or the regular season came to an end. Uh, we all started to realize, yeah, this is actually a pretty damn good trade. I think if Anthony Kay was healthier the last few years in the minor leagues and in another year or two with Simeon Rhodes Richardson growing as a player, they both would have been top 100 prospects. So they did, in the end, I think they did pretty well in the Marcus Stroman deal. He was so marketable, a guy who I do believe he wanted to be here uh, long-term. But, uh, yeah, I think your analogy summed it up perfectly. So... Which one, mine or his? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chris, I'll no I'll more kicking the horse, all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, and I, just to add to, just to add to that, too, Brandon, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. One thing that I didn't say was uh, the timing of the trade was, was one thing that's, that uh, was what really raised my my eyebrows. But you're right. Um, as we watched the rest of the trades that finished out the rest of uh, July, that uh, those premium pitching prospects that we were hoping the Blue Jays might be able to pursue just to stay put. And so, in the end, I do I uh, think Woods Richardson is looking uh, like a guy that could be a very very good uh, starter down the road. And K looks like a fellow that could uh, also fill out a rotation spot at the very least too. So. There you go. And now here you go, Brennan. Bobby K didn't even have to sell Chris Henderson on this show on how good he is. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so there he is. There's, so. there's, our, uh, there's our weekly Bobby K reference on every episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, but gentlemen, as far as it goes, Marcus Stroman will be remembered as one of the great players from our 2015-16 runs, especially with the dynamic comeback in 2015 after his injuries and you know, his superhuman strength and being the fresh arm that just was a ridiculous tandem with David Price at the end of that season and Marco Estrada and company. Obviously, that really resurged that team and the pitching rotation that was unexpected. So it was very, very fun. And I think that's how Blue Jays fans need to remember the ride, not so much the end. So, gentlemen, moving along, though. We had some bright spots, and I think one of you guys touched on one of them already. I can't remember which one of you it was. But... Trent Thornton actually led this team in innings pitched, and for a rookie pitcher, that's saying a lot, and I think he actually got better, fellas, as the season went along. I forgot whose turn it is to go first, so I'm just going to let you, you know, fight this one out. <laughs> it was Chris who brought up and mentioned Trent Thornton first, so Chris, you go first. <laughs> sure, yeah. No. Well, you know, unlike not unlike any rookie, Thornton had his ups and downs throughout the year, but uh, I'm just having a look at his splits right now just to see how he did as the year went on. And it was really September in particular that it seemed like he figured stuff out. And I know Buck Martinez and Pat Tabler kept talking about uh, some of the adjustments that he'd made, um, just you know, talking with Clay Buckles and varying the speeds on some of the pitches. But, you know, in September, the guy made uh, five appearances. Of course, that's when we're using the opener a little bit more. Uh, but through 24 and two-thirds innings, and, uh, you know, he only had an ERA of 2.19. He had a whip of uh, 0.892. So, I mean, he really started to figure some stuff out at the end of the year. And uh, what I was most impressed with, I think, uh, was the fact that he just stuck it out throughout the whole year. You know, uh, he ended up being, for all intent and purpose, he ended up being our number one starter. Uh, and for a guy that realistically didn't, we didn't expect him to be a part of the rotation this year, uh, other than as a depth piece, uh, ended up providing a lot of value. And uh, the Blue Jays certainly certainly made a good deal with him. sent uh, Lemus Diaz over to Houston on this one. Brent? Yeah, I uh, 
I think the reason why I'm so interested in seeing what Chen Thornton will do next year is just he wasn't even guaranteed a rotation spot at the beginning of the season. He locked into one, I would say, uh, due to injury to uh, to uh, oh, I'm a, Clayton Richard uh, at the beginning of the season. Uh, so there was an open rotation spot, and it really came down to Trent Thornton, and I believe it was Thomas Pannon or one other guy, I can't remember who, uh, in that Montreal series, and Thornton really wrapped it up uh, at that point uh, to be the fifth guy in the rotation. So for a guy who learning things and figuring things out, and Chrissy rightly pointed out that in September he figured stuff out, I think it was um, uh, somebody on the broadcast, or anyways, a story that came out on Twitter, that um, it was Clay Buckles who taught Trent Thornton the new grip on his curveball. Uh, and we saw that in his first appearance against the Boston Red Sox when he came in as an opener and just mowed through that Red Sox lineup uh, when he went out there in uh, early to mid-September. And he ended up, you know what, 1.9 F4. Uh, is pretty damn good for a guy in his first season. And 32 starts, 154.1 innings. I think he 100% has a rotation spot on lock for 2020. You can pencil him in there as the number two or number three guy to start your season, and you can feel comfortable with him, hopefully, going out there every fifth day. Yeah, fellas, I just happened to stumble onto some fun stuff on baseball reference about him, and I, I'm honestly, I'm not shocked by some of these numbers, but playing against the teams he played against this season are three main teams that he will face repetitively more than in the next year's he's on AL's teams but outside the Red Sox, Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays there was only one two no sorry three other teams that had more than 10 runs scored against him in starts and those were the Houston Astros and the Minnesota Twins two of the best offenses in baseball. So this guy was beating guys that he should be beating, fellas. So, And if he takes that next step, maybe it is that curveball we were just talking about. This is a guy that is going to be a solid piece, if not at least a back end of the rotation starter for the Toronto Blue Jays. And, guys, that was a pretty good flip. Another one of those, you know, <laughs> random little ones that seems like nothing when it happened turned into something pretty good. Brendan Panikar, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head that he's probably got to stop. It's his spot to lose, at least, coming in spring training 2020. Yeah, I think you can go into 2020 assuming everybody's healthy at the end of it, and you can have three rotation spots pretty much on lockdown, depending on what they do with some off-season moves, maybe some free agent signings, but you can go through, and if they're healthy, you got Matt Shoemaker, you got Ryan Barucki coming off of injury as the lefty, if he's ready to go, he's in there, no problem. And then Trent Thornton. So those are your top three right there. And then you let some of the other guys that we saw get extended auditions battle it out. And I have four guys' names on my Fangraphs page still here in case we dive in on them a little bit more. But Anthony Kay is another lefty. Jacob Wegespack, Sean Reed Foley, if they give him an opportunity to win a job as a starter in TJ Zoic. So if you have those four guys battling it out for the final two rotation spots, Maybe it isn't even two. You never know what they do in free agency or trades. But if you have those four guys battling it out for the last two spots, I think you're in decent shape uh, for the start of the 2020 season. All right. Worst case scenario with Trent Thornton, we have a pitcher that can rake, fellas. <laughs> so if we ever get into those playoffs <laughs> situations, Chris Henderson is batting a full 1,000 from that San Francisco Giants uh, series. And, yeah, it's just, it was just fun to watch. It was a Blue Jays moment this season. <laughs> oh yeah, no, and he, you know what? I always love when American League pitchers get to bat, and uh, with the exception of Marcus Stroman, they usually look completely lost in the plate. Um, but uh, Nell Thornton, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, he can keep up that thousand batting average. It looks nice on the stats page. Yeah. Just to just to like you know put a little cherry on the top of the whole thing, right? Had a good season, and then, by the way, I went two for two when I got my at bats. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be uh, I'd be having some sort of plaque or something major in that game if I were him. <laughs> Best hitter of the year for a rookie pitcher, right? <laughs> yeah. So, next guys, um, I want to talk one more guy before we get into the really the youngsters. And seeing, I guess it's Brendan Panikar's turn after that toss up, the last one, and he volunteered you on that one, Chris. I'm gonna give. <laughs> Brendan Panikar, his chance to gush on Jacob Waga's pack. Once again, I don't know why I keep doing this to self. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it, it, we talked about him a lot in August because he just really ran away and surprised everybody with how well he pitched. I'm going to pull up his uh, splits here in a second uh, as we go into it. But uh, I don't know. There's just something that seems to be there. And I think a lot of people on Blue Jays Twitter were pleasantly surprised. I mean, you go look at his um, StatCast page uh, on Baseball Savant and he shouldn't have been as good as he was. And I think part of that caught up to him in September because you go through and you look at the splits in August, he had a 288 ERA and it was pretty damn good. But then it came back to normal, I would say, uh, according to those StatCast metrics with a 5.48 ERA in 23 September slash October innings. So uh, I, at worst, he's a guy who probably, I would imagine, starts the season in AAA Buffalo again. Um, as the opening day guy for the Bisons, kind of like what he did this past season. But he's just going to be there, and you know you can rely on him for small stretches at a time. He could probably get through in order once, maybe twice, and you have some backup in the bullpen behind him. But uh, oh, I was impressed. I, I want to see what he can do in a full spring training, knowing that, yeah, I may have a spot in the rotation to uh, to lock down as my own and break to camp with the team, or I'll be uh, a death piece and start the season in uh, the Bisons' rotation. Blue Jays are no stranger to finding diamonds in the rough, guys, on uh, starting pitchers. The best one that we can probably say in recent memory is Marco Estrada. Is, Chris Henderson, is this another guy that we're just, what do we find? And we might have something in the tank here. Well, there's a couple things. I want, you know, I think the Blue Jays would be well served to have him in that AAA depth uh, to start the year. You know, relying on him to be a guy to throw for an entire season probably isn't realistic. Um, but I, one thing I always like to point out whenever I'm talking about this this pitcher in particular is the fact that the Blue Jays got him for Aaron Loop for a couple of months. <laughs> of and so whenever I hear we couldn't find anybody to tra- you know, we couldn't find a trade partner for somebody who was on an expiring contract, I think we got a, a serviceable starter for Aaron Loop. Come on, you could have <laughs> a body of some kind out there. Um, but you know, I, I look at Waggis back. Uh, just going back to him for a second, I look at him. The, the guy that always pops in my head whenever I think about him is Josh Towers, and, and I I just think he'll be a guy that hangs around that we'll use from time to time. Josh Towers actually had a year where he pitched to a three point seven one ERA and thirty three starts, which shocked me after when you looked that up. And unless you were true but Angry Bird fans like us, Chris, you wouldn't know that. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> but no, I, I think he's a guy that at, very, at the very worst he's going to provide some rotation depth, and if. If they treat the offseason the way that they should by getting at least one more guy in addition to Shoemaker, then hopefully I think he starts the year in Buffalo. But at uh, you know, again, getting somebody getting a rotation depth piece for Aaron Lee for a couple months of Aaron Lee, I think is wonderful and uh, something that they should always keep in mind in the trade deadline. It's amazing when you think of that, and that we weren't able to get anything from Freddie Galvis. <laughs> 
that's what blows my mind. That kind of that kind of <laughs> stuff. That yeah. and, and Justin Smoke. Like I realize the first base market can be a little limited, uh, you know. But uh, again, Aaron Loop. Uh, <laughs> that's all I have to say on that. <laughs> that was a guy two years ago that I literally thought I was watching his last days in Major League or baseball period, watching him play against the Rochester Red Wings here for the Buffalo Bisons. <laughs> he couldn't even find the plate in AAA. I was like, he'll never find it again. It's done. It's over with. Bye. Nope. Equals Jacob Wagas back. <laughs> so moving into the kids, fellas, we had a plethora of them, including Thomas Pannone, TJ Zoig, Anthony Kay, Ryan Brucky. I'm going to throw into that category because he still hasn't gotten a chance to really run away with a job just because of his you know brief start from the year before and then being hurt all this season. And yeah, that's really what's going on in Blue Jays land right now, fellas. There's a few those names right there. I would be strangely okay with having any of them to run out with this. But let's start off with the recently acquired Anthony K. Brendan, I think it's your turn. No, no, sorry, Chris, it's your turn. <laughs> Fake out. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry, you threw me off here. Can, could you? Sorry, could you repeat the question? Craig? No worries. I was just saying we'll dive into Anthony K, my friend, as far as how he was able to perform at the end of this season. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I think it was said about this earlier. He's the guy that uh, I don't know. Why, I don't know why these these comparisons keep popping in my head, but he reminds me. It's not just the glasses either, but he reminds me of a young Brett Cecil, um, who had a lot of potential. Who has a nice curveball. He's got a nice mix of pitches. Uh, and anytime you have a southpaw that controls strikes, I think it, it, there's potential there for something. And so once he once he got back and once he got over his first ugly start in Buffalo, he really looked good. Um, he really looked good in Triple A, and he impressed it in his limited opportunities, you know, throughout the rest of the season. So, and to me, I would I'd like to see him ahead of a guy like Wegus back next season, just because I'd like to see what we get. We've gotten out of this this guy. He really impressed me in Triple A, and I, I feel like he doesn't have a lot left to prove there. So, um, I, I'd like to there. see him be the number five starter next year if I if I was on this team. Jump in, Brendan Panikar. <laughs> I think he actually will probably be one of the leading kids that we saw last year to lock up a rotation spot simply due to the fact that he's a left-hander. Especially if Ryan Baraki isn't ready, you go look at the state of the Blue Jays' farm system and pitchers who are close or on the cusp of getting major league call-ups, and there really is no left-handers. So I think that automatically puts Anthony Kay at the top of the list in terms of guys who could win out a rotation spot, and maybe even if it's not the strongest in spring training, just because he's a lefty gets a little bit more of a look, extended look, or he may just even break camp with the team. Uh, other than his start, uh, where he went four and a third innings against the Yankees and gave up five earned runs, there was a lot of uh, uh, batted balls in play, unluck uh, in that game. I was, I was at that one, I believe. Uh, it was one of my last Blue Jays games of the year I was at before, Craig. You and I went to that final game of the year. Uh, but uh, I was impressed with what I saw from him. He went out there performed really well against a playoff-bound Tampa Bay Rays team, and then he pitched really well, uh, I believe, coming in uh, from an opener against the Baltimore Orioles uh, on the 19th of September, just looking at his game-by-game log. And, you know, I think he's a guy who can go out there and give you six innings, three earned runs, and if that's the case, that's for some reason considered a quality start. He could be right around a 4.50 ERA, maybe a little bit lower. Maybe in a really good year, you get him in the high threes, but uh, yeah, I think there's something there with uh, Anthony Kay, and I would not be surprised if he does break camp with uh, the Blue Jays to start 2020. 
is Thomas Pannone in that conversation with either of you guys in that could break camp? I think that next category past K, and maybe including K, is Pannone, Zoik, and K for that last spot in the rotation probably would be how to sum it up, assuming we don't go out and get some big free agent pitcher. Who do you think out of that group really steps forward, Chris Henderson? I look at Pannone, you know, maybe he's being unfairly cast at this point in his career, but I look at him as a, ideally, I think he's a great long guy. Maybe he's a guy that follows an opener. So to me, it just if he ends up being in the rotation at the start of next season, that means that we've had some injury problems in spring training. Um, just I don't see a ceiling to be the same as some of the other guys, and maybe again, maybe I'm not giving him the credit that he's due because he, he hasn't been bad as a big leader at times. Um, but I, I, if you're giving me those three names, I, I would I would put K at the top of the heap, and um, and probably I, I, I'd be known as a guy that'll end up pitching mostly out of the bullpen next season. And as that, uh, the, as far as your piece on that with the Zoit conversation, is that because you didn't get a chance to see as much of him, possibly? Or you just I, like the stuff that yeah, you know what I, I I I do I do like K's stuff more. I don't know enough about like um, I I haven't seen him pitch enough, and, and it just worked out even this fall that there was only I didn't even get to see all of his appearances in the Blue Jays. But but uh, he's another one that I feel like is, serves as a very good depth piece for next year. And uh, you know he's been in the system for a long time, so you're always happy to see those guys work their way up. Um, but you know, I look at it if they can bring you know if they sign a if they bring back Matt Shoemaker and if they sign a real starter. There's two pieces. You know, Trent Thornton's a third. Hopefully, Ryan Brucky, as you say, is is healthy because I think he does get a spot if he's healthy. And you know, to me, his his upside is as good as anyone of the young guys. And you know, so at that point, I guess that's where I started dismissing the the Pinellas and the Zoits and the, and uh, some of the other guys because I, I'm I'm hoping that they do bring at least one more depth piece in beyond Shoemaker. Gotcha. Brennan, you want to put a bow on our conversation here with those three guys? Sum it up. Yeah. Pannone isn't in the conversation for me as a starter anymore. I think there's too many other guys in the system that deserve a look over him. He really didn't take advantage of his opportunity to be a full-time starter. I mean, you just go look at his splits last year. In 48 and the third innings as a reliever, he had a 3.54 ERA. In 24 and two-thirds innings as a starter, he posted an Edwin Jackson-type number of an 11.31 ERA. So, yeah, no, I don't think Thomas Pannone should even be in consideration uh, for uh, the rotation, especially given the fact, guys, that we're going to be missing our main lefty into Mesa next year. So Pannone could be a lefty that you might be able to start sliding in at the back end of the ro- uh, uh, of, the, of the bullpen. And you, you know what, uh, Chris? Yeah, you brought in two comparisons there. I'm going to bust out my own. Uh, kind of a softer tossing lefty who, at the beginning of his career, was a bit of a swing man as well. I see Thomas Pannone maybe being able to be our new Scott Downs, some guy who went out there and did spot start at times at the beginning of Downs' career uh, with the Blue Jays. He did get some turns to the rotation, but once it was discovered that, and this guy's actually really damn good out of the bullpen as a lefty, uh, he sailed away and become one of the best left-handers in all of baseball uh, as a reliever in some season there. So I, I, I think Pannone is a bullpen piece, and if he can turn into something close to what Scott Downs was, then you got a, a lefty who can uh, get through a season when you're going to be missing to Mesa and waiting on other guys in the system like Kirby Snead or other guys like Tyler Shiseido. There you go. How about TJ's? Just to wrap him up. I bet he starts the season in Buffalo. Uh, I wasn't uh, overly impressed with Zoic, I'd say. I mean, 4.76 ERA is fine. 
and FIP was even kinder to him with uh, 4.05 uh, FIP. But uh, he's pitched a contact guy, and he really relies on location. you got to be down in the zone or else he's going to get hit pretty hard. I, I, I think I'm in the same exact same boat as Chris. Just at this point, don't really know enough about him as a major leaguer to make a call, and I want to see him go through some training. Uh, like another bunch of other guys we talked about tonight, just get a chance to go out there, maybe win a job if you have a good spring training. But ultimately, it would not disappoint me at all if we see Zoic start the season in Buffalo. Um, and yeah, cause some of the guys that will be starting camp or breaking camp with the rotation will simply be placeholders until guys like Nate Pearson, other top-end guys are ready uh, in May and June. And Zoic, I could put in that category of being a guy who takes over for one of those placeholders as the season goes along. All right, gentlemen, just before you both leave me out to dry, the reason I include those three at the end is because they actually had multiple starts with the Blue Jays this year, and I didn't realize that Tom <laughs> Pannone actually got into seven starts for the Blue Jays this year. I think that's a tell-all right there of how ridiculously roundtabled this whole <laughs> starting pitching by committee rotation was. So I think that's just how it is, guys. But um, Chris Henderson, give me your starting – If we, this is the rotation for next year. These are the guys you have available. What's your rotation for your five? Well, assuming Shoemaker's back, I guess we'll, it'll be Shoemaker, Thornton, uh, hopefully Ryan Brucky is healthy. Um, oh, boy. And then from there, I guess to round it out, <laughs> we've, we've still got, uh, I would give Anthony Kay um, the first spot. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, yeah, we need to sign some other guys. Ro- Ro, get a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess Waggis back would round out the five for what we have at the moment. But, uh, yeah, that's why I really feel like the Blue Jays need to sign hopefully a premium starter and, and maybe another guy like a Blood Buckles or, or a Peyton Richard or somebody of that ilk to help round things out because it needs to happen to help the depth. Yeah, that piece is missing. So, Brendan Panikar, I just want to hear your opinion just so we can throw it all out here. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, honestly, it's going to be very similar to Chris's answer there, uh, especially with those top three. If they're back end healthy, I think Shoemaker's your one, Barucki's your two, uh, and then Trent Thornton's your three, and then you go righty, lefty, righty. Uh, and then after that, you can add another lefty and Anthony K. But beyond that, it's truly open competition, man. And that's exactly why I think we need to add another starter. Uh, just like Chris said, just it, it's pretty bare. And if this team has some visions of maybe accidentally stumbling into contention because of uh, at least for a wild card spot or even just contending for 500, which I'd be totally happy and forward with, honestly, um, I think you got to add another starter. But you cannot rely on a Vegas pack for too long. Uh, I think he's more of a quad A guy. You can't rely on Pannone's. Uh, at this point, in terms of who would round it out, if you don't make any additions, I don't know, it's tough. Um, I think they've given up on Sean Reed Foley as a starter, so I'm not even going to consider him. Who knows, maybe I'm, I'll be wrong on that. So uh, I, I, I would bet it's going to be either down to Vegas Pack or TJ Zoic for rounding out the rotation. I just want to make the joke here, fellas, that you re-sign Russell Martin as a starting pitcher. Or give it to Luke Maley. <laughs> 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 well, Maley's numbers, right? Right? <laughs> yeah. Godlike pitcher of the year, <laughs> strikeouts and all. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chris Henderson, you're this week's guest. This is your moment of glory. We're gonna wrap this show up here. Tell us what's going on with you. Go ahead and shamelessly self-promote your new album, and make sure everybody listens to it here in Blue Jays land. Yeah, sure. Yeah, on the music side of my life, I've got a new, as you said, a new album that came out uh, just 
beginning of October. Uh, it's called Point of View. You can find it on Apple Music and Spotify and Google Play and all those wonderful places that uh, steal my music. And get, I mean, play my music and provide it for all the listeners out there. No. Um, <laughs> there there's, um, yeah, so that, that that's new. And as far as the baseball stuff goes, uh, you can always find me at jaysjournal.com and on Twitter at, um, at baseball for brains. So it's baseball for number four and brains. And uh, so if, you, and if all else fails, you can just Google my name, Chris Anderson. You can usually find me working somewhere online. He'll be the kind-looking fellow with the cowboy hat on, I promise. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Brennan Panikar, do you have anything you would like to add to this first, what is, I guess, our real first off-season show of this season? I'm going to make a prediction, guys, and oh. uh, kind of leave this with a, with a bit of a uh, with a bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, I maybe we can touch on this next week, and you can weigh in on the discussion on Twitter if you'd like after hearing it. But just looking at all the free agent starters' names, I don't think they'll be in the upper echelon of guys like uh, Jake Arrieta could opt out. I don't think they'll touch him. A little too old. Uh, they're definitely not going to get Garrett Cole. There'll be teams that outbid them and whatnot. I don't. As long as they make an offer on somebody that's in the upper tier, I think people will be happy. But I think you're looking more along the lines of a guy like a Tanner Roark or a Kyle Gibson. And I'm going to be as bold as saying, for some reason, Kyle Gibson just strikes me as the guy that this front office is going to target and end up signing to be kind of like an anchor in the middle of the rotation, not a super sexy signing, but a guy who could, in a good season, give you a high three, low four ERA and I'd be totally fine with that guy uh, going out there every fifth day because he's been pretty reliable. So I'm calling it right now. Very early off-season prediction. Kyle Gibson will be a Blue Jay. Not a sexy name, not one that's going to get you excited, but a guy that you can count on going into next season. And, Craig, is it possible that I can announce what direction we'll go to on our next off-season show next week? There you go. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. No, it, 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 my little self-promotion is, yeah, continue listening to our show and our podcast. Uh, whether we have guests on, like our wonderful guest Chris Henderson today, uh, or anybody else uh, that may join us in future episodes. But I think we will go towards the state of the outfield and review the outfield on our next episode of Jaybird Watching. Because, you know what, this one... There's some optimism there. I think there's some optimism in the outfield, but I would say that there's a little bit more of a cloudiness uh, surrounding the outfield and some answers need to happen. So let's go outfield for next week. Yeah, you might have had your crystal ball right on your offseason pitching signing, but I don't know if anybody has a crystal ball with enough future power to figure out what the hell is going to go on the Blue Jays' outfield next season. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's, there's no crystal ball that anybody has that uh, will be able to say that uh, and confidently make a prediction. So we'll, uh, we'll try to put all the puzzle pieces together next week. All right. So, gentlemen, this has been a great show. Chris Henderson, thank you very much for joining us. This has been way too long. we got to figure out how to make this happen a little bit more often. But I know you're kind of like, you know, touring all over the place and doing a great job in your shows and everything. So keep up the good work, my friend, and thanks again for coming on. My pleasure, guys. Anytime I can fit into the schedule, happy to do it. It's always, always fun chatting with you. Awesome. All right, well, gentlemen, that's another wonderful episode here of Jaybird Watching. Don't forget to hit us up on Twitter at BirdWatchingGC and all over social media at BirdWatchingGC. Also, don't forget to hit those subscribe buttons on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get the podca podcasting pleasures from. Make sure you send us those feedback so we can get out to more and more um, Blue Jays fans. We keep getting closer and closer to a milestone of 20,000 listens over the season so far. So 
keep it up, and we'll uh, be right here for you on Jaybird Watching. Otherwise, everybody, guys, it's another week. Let's go Expos. Nationals. <laughs> Let's go Expos. <laughs> All right. Peace out, fellas, and go Blue Jays. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.